and we're recording. Hey, man, how's it going? It's going well, man. Uh, it's it's been a while. <laughs> it has. It has. It's been uh, it's been two weeks. We we had an off week last week, but uh, we're back. We are, and we have I, lots to talk about. I sound a little different today. Um, that's not on purpose. I uh, was trying to use my Blue Yeti mic for some Zoom calls earlier last week, and people started complaining in the chat and, and on Zoom. They're saying, like, you sound like a – I think one guy said, like, a dot matrix printer. And mm. it sounded like I had this uh, – like a whine noise. It was, like, real high-pitched, and it was only in the right um, the right channel. And so, sure enough, I did a bunch of research, and um, these mics are known to, to do that from time to time. And the solution from Blue Yeti is to just return them. So that's a mm. bummer. So I am on AirPods again. So we'll see how this goes tonight. Now, here's my question for you. Would you plan on getting another Blue Yeti, or are you going to try something else this time? Yeah, that's that's tricky. I really like the size of the Blue Yeti. I like the look. I, I like how simple it's been. I don't like the fact that I have a 100% failure rate with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. It would be nice to have something that um, – was a little smaller, I I think. This one, the Blue Yeti's like eight in, six to eight inches long, and it's it it weighs a pound or two. It'd be nice to have something a little bit smaller. Yeah, no, that's understandable. Um, if you'd like, I'll have to get you in touch with Austin to see if we could get you know a setup kind of like he had with those uh those Rode Pod mics or something. Yeah, those are cool. I got all these other these other cool podcasting things you can get now, but apparently podcasting is it's taken like a a hit like industry wide right now with with covid a lot less podcasts are being consumed i mean it's understandable um just because we don't have the commute that we you know that i mean i used to commute an hour a day and i was listening to you know one or one or two podcasts every day and now i'm lucky if i listen to half of one you know and that's only podcasts that are about an hour long, let alone if you listen to something like Joe Rogan. I mean, that guy can podcast for three, four hours straight sometimes. <laughs> like, um, But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I even noticed that I, I don't listen to him as much. How about yourself? Like, are you listening to any? Are you? Are, oh, are, I am so far behind. I have like a queue of 30 to 60 and I'm just I, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to catch up. Because by the time that, you know, I get back to normal, I'll, there'll be new episodes out and I won't, you know, the, this previous stuff was, it's all timely. It's all about news and events that are happening right now. A lot of the podcasts that I listen to are, are tech news. So they, they become stale or they become outdated pretty quick. There's some tidbits in there, but it's just uh, not super valuable for me to go back and listen to something from six months ago if it was just day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, um, but I, it, it's happening to other podcasts too. And apparently there's a problem with advertisers right now where advertisers want more and more data. And if your podcast is hosted through Spotify or something, then Spotify has the full chain because the Spotify users typically pay and they know email addresses. They know a bunch of stuff about the, the user. So if your podcast on Spotify, you can give your advertiser some much better analytics. If you're like us and you're, you know, independent, then all you really have to go on for analytics is like the download count. You don't know if they listened to it 75% and stopped. You don't mm-hmm. know if they skipped the ads. You don't know if they even listened to it. You just know that they downloaded it. 
So it, it's hurting indie podcasts as far as like ones being sponsored. We're not sponsored, so we can do whatever we want. But right, uh, right. Just in, in, as an industry wide, if a lot of these indie podcasts aren't going to be sponsored anymore, you know, there'd be less content. Like it's just a a vicious vicious circle on the indie side. On the Spotify side, you know, that might be awesome for them, but it's taking away privacy from the users. Now the users' data is being sold to advertisers where um, previously they weren't. You know, advertisers were just, uh, they just didn't have the data, but, you know, it's, it's becoming, it's like organized crime. It's becoming <laughs> <laughs> organized and sold. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is my problem with having, you know, a conglomerate, well, I guess not a conglomerate, but a organization that is over the entire, like, for example, people are paying Spotify decent amount of money every month and they get curated podcasts. That's going to start hurting the indies, you know, um, especially if advertisers are more keen towards using, you know, advertising on podcasts that are being hosted by say something like Spotify, as opposed to someone like us or five by five or relay FM that aren't associated with, you know, Spotify. So, Oh yeah. We can talk about privacy, man. You're going to see this happen to YouTube as well. I think it's already started like the, um, the, the number of dollars that these YouTube creators get per 1000 views has dropped in some cases by like 50% in the last couple of months. And will continue continue to do so as you know, you know advertisers are are freezing their budgets until uh, the pandemic's over or this fall. It's just it's hurting you know a bunch of creators. And what's what's crazy though is everybody's at home and has time to create their own stuff right now. So you're going to have a flood, but then there's no money behind it. So you're gonna uh, well, I guess the, what's going to happen is I'm going to go try to buy a new microphone, and they're going to be sold out because everybody started up a podcast. But nobody's yeah. listening to any of these podcasts. So, <laughs> oh man, it's a it's a it's a situation, yes, sir. But I mean, how is uh, in other ways beyond podcasting? It's again, it's been a couple weeks since we talked. How is COVID nineteen treating you? I I think I might have had it. Like, I want an antibody test. <laughs> you cracked. <laughs> so yeah, I think so. Oh, I so, see what you're saying. So what I'm thinking, though, is we had this nasty little flu thing in December, and it's either a conspiracy theory because I'm reading articles and and like now there's like a thing called COVID toe where you have like lesions and stuff on your toes or, yeah, there's a bunch of other possible um, symptoms. But but then at the same time, these could just be symptoms and not have anything to do with the virus, but because everybody, you know you're affecting millions of people, you're going to find coincidences across, you know, or correlations between a large groups whenever you deal with that many people. Yeah. So, you know, wh- uh, one thing I was reading is uh, like one of the symptoms was pink eye. And then there's a bunch of others. And, you know, in, I think it was like December, our, our four-year-old had a whole bunch of stuff all at once. This nasty cough and just was on a bunch of antibiotics and stuff and had pink eye and had ear infections and all this stuff. And it could have been, I don't know, but then now you're reading like prisons have like hundreds and hundreds of, of inmates who are asymptomatic. So, you know, who else was, is asymptomatic? You know, could this have been here, you know, earlier in December and in, in January and started to spread 
and people are asymptomatic. I don't know, but I really just want the antibody test. I just want to know. Mm-hmm. Just, just to satisfy your curiosity, huh? Yeah. If you get the antibody test and you find out a bunch of people had it, you know, if you get the regular tests now, you, you might not have the virus in your nose where they're testing. But if you have antibodies in your blood because you had it before or you were asymptomatic, you know, now you're free. You can walk around, you know, whether or not you're you want to wear the mask or not. Like you're if you have the antibodies, you're not going to spread the, the virus from your you know droplets from you <laughs> from your breathing because the virus won't be in them. Right. Um, you can still spread it like touching things like handles and things. And, you know, the virus was on something. It could still, you know contact your skin and then you could spread it so that, you know, you can still spread it, but you're not going to actively create more of it if you have the antibodies. Right. So I really want antibody tests for everybody. Then we, then we can just know. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I suspected at one point that I had it back in, uh, I think it was what January. I, I ended up coming down with some strange I, I believe now it was just some sort of upper respiratory infection where I was just like, I had a very strange cough, but I didn't like, that was really the only thing that I had like lots of like a, just, just the strangest cough. Um, but didn't have any of the other symptoms from COVID-19. But originally I thought that, but as we found out more, but just like how it treats people and it seems like it's pretty brutal, you know, I kind of doubt that I had it. Well, I'm also reading reports of like your lungs are on fire and, you can't yeah. breathe, and, and there's been um, uh, comparisons to like high altitude sickness, where it's not necessarily pneumonia, but it's like if you were dropped on Mount Everest without having time to acclimate, and you just can't get enough oxygen into your lungs. You know that's how it's. You know, I've been reading recently about that, so I definitely did not experience that. But you know, if you're asymptomatic, maybe I don't know. I just want antibody tests. I, I just want to. Can I go outside again? <laughs> now tell me what have you done about your your grooming situation? I ordered some clippers mm. on Amazon. Mm. They were not essential, so they <laughs> it took weeks to get here. And really? I got to the point where I'm doing like a comb over. I'm doing all this stuff to because I finally can I have enough hair that I can comb it. And uh, then we got the clippers, and then my girls got to cut my hair. So I sent you a video. Um, and I message, if you scroll up, you should be able to see it, but it's a two, three second clip of my daughter's buzzing my head <laughs> and they loved it, but they, they would get in the hair. So they would like, they would take a big chunk out of my head and then they would grab the hair and they wanted to play with it. And then they would like, it would stick to their clothes or their legs or the floor. And then they're like running in circles around the room and hair oh. is getting everywhere. Oh, and Lord. so. Like at, once we're all done, I'm like, I'm trying to sweep it all up and everything's good. And then like the next day I'm doing something and there's like a towel on, on the couch and I'll, I lay my head against the towel and I'm like, man, this is itchy. And I'll look over at it. It's just covered in hair. Like, oh, <laughs> dang it. But, uh, it was a good experience. And that's the Clippers. We just took it down to like, I don't know, a one or a two, maybe I think it was like a two length. And, uh, just did a full buzz. There you go. Super, super simple. Super simple. So were you going to barbershops before this whole COVID thing? Or, did, I mean, you must you must have been because you didn't have clippers yourself. But, like, this is a pretty nice looking haircut. I see the picture, like, your after picture. And it looks just like you. So, yeah. <laughs> so the difference between this cut and my, my cut that I pay for is 
the cut that I pay for is typically messed up most of the time because like, I'll go in there and I'll have like shaky hands and who just like has shaky hands and just misses things. Or yeah. like you look in the light and you'll see like hairs just sticking up because they missed it. And my haircut's simple. Like it was like a, a two or a three on top and then uh, like a two on the side and you faded the two. Mm-hmm. And it's not a very complicated cut. And if I want to really mix it up, I would have like then I would have the, the the stylist use clippers on the on the top and, and cut it with scissors. But you know, lately I've just been having them buzz it because I can't trust them. Like they'll just miss pieces and parts of it and stuff. So yeah, I think I'm just going to use clippers now. Like I'm tired of paying money. I'm just gonna, just gonna and then I can shave it anytime I want. Like once a week right. or you know once every two weeks. It, it's not a big deal anymore. I don't have to uh, go out and do that. So that's it. That's a change for me. Yeah. Well, you look sharp. I noticed that you have a little beard going. Yeah, I had a little beard, and that that uh, yeah, it's just laziness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. As as this this quarantine thing continues, like I I sleep in, and and I don't do as much in the morning as I did before. Like I might sleep in until eight something now, whereas before I would get up at six and have mm-hmm. this whole ritual and stuff and do all these things where now it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, that's understandable. I'm in a very similar situation. Um, facial hair wise though, I went the opposite. Last time I was in the office, I had a full beard. Now I'm baby face. I don't have anything. So, but I've noticed <laughs> I'm only shaving once a week now. Whereas when this all started, I was shaving like three or four times a week. Yeah. I saw on iMessage, you you have like a little suggestion, uh, suggested picture and the previous one was the exact same face that you have in the current picture yeah. that had a beard. And then yesterday I switched it to, it said like, do you want to update his photo? And I looked at it. It was the exact same emoji, but this one was shaved. <laughs> With an <That's> awesome. <laughs> and I did great. the same expression. Like when I held the camera, I just did the same expression. I uh, thought it was the same picture, just shaved. That yeah, was cool. Yeah. So just decided to go ahead and take care of that one. Um, but normally you know, I go to the, the barber shop um, and, you know, you, I mean, you pay $25 for a cut or whatnot. It's not the cheapest thing in the world per se. I went to my mom's house. My mom, she used to be a hairdresser and she did my hair all the time growing up. And I went to her because like my hair was starting to get all out of whack. It was getting super long. I was like having to wear a hat and when I would take the hat off, it was like the hair had, you know, was pressed up against the top of my scalp and it just looked awful. So I went to mom and I was like, mom, can you just give me a haircut? And she did. And it, it was good. It got the fade and everything. It got the fade and everything. It looks good. I'm happy about it. Um, yeah, man. But I'm, I'm, I haven't had mom cut my hair since before Jenny and I got married. So it, it was, it was good. I liked it. Thanks mom. <laughs> Shout out to mom. Shout out to mom. Oh, Nice. Well, let's get let's get into some tech stuff. I uh, my cowherd.com. So I purchased that in Jan. I think it was January. And whenever I purchased it, one of the um, stipulations was whenever you change the owner. I believe I think it's how it works. If you change the owner of a domain, it can get locked to the new owner for like sixty or ninety days. There's some time limit, and you're not allowed to transfer from that registrar to another until that time frame's over. And they're trying to prevent like the equivalent of money laundering for domains. It's like getting it, you know, really far away from your control. They want, they want to slow the whole process down when you're buying and selling them so that if someone needed to 
undo something or if it was done and you didn't have authorization to do it. If I was able to get a hold of, if I worked at Google and I got a hold of google.com, you know, Google does not want me to be able to move that thing around and, and, you know, switch it from providers or point it. They don't want me to mess with it. So there's some, some security built into this whole process. It's, it's extra red tape, but I see the purpose. So I was locked into, uh, I was stuck at GoDaddy for the last 60 or 90 days. And the, the day, I think it was, was I think it's like last Monday or Tuesday, um, was the, the 60th day or 90th day, whatever it ended up being. And so I started the transfer to Hover. And so part of my transfer to, and I love Hover, like the GoDaddy just rubbed me the wrong way for two reasons. One, their ads were scandalous and uh, three reasons. The scandalous ads, uh, mm-hmm. two, they had upselling everywhere. If you wanted to do anything, they're like, do you also want to add a website in SSL? And do you want to have, you know, add all these other things? And it, it just felt pushy. And then three, there was an issue, uh, I think it was four years ago, where GoDaddy's DNS servers dropped for a little while, and it took down all of my sites. All of my sites were down, and because GoDaddy was down, I couldn't point them at a different location. Mm-hmm. So I was all of my customer stuff was all, everything was shut down. It, it was frustrating. Now, a lot of the internet was also messed up because a lot of people use GoDaddy. But you know, at that point, it made me realize that I don't necessarily want to have my DNS and my registrar at the same place, or I want to be able to, to switch between the two at any time. So I uh, started moving stuff over to Hover, and then I used other things for my DNS. Sometimes it's Hover, but sometimes it's like DigitalOcean or, or AWS Route 53, that's Amazon's. Uh, so you know, try to spread it out a little bit just in case something goes down, I have some flexibility. But um, So I wanted to move it to Hover. And so one of the parts on moving it is you have to get this authorization code from the part, the place that you want to switch from, and you have to give it to the place you want to switch to. And there's this process and GoDaddy has a thing like the very last verification step is they have to physically email you. And so you're talking to a person. And so right now is not the best time for customer service. Everybody's at home. It's just everything's slow. But um, if they don't get a hold of you and, and that you don't, you know, finish this process, it automatically switches over to the other registrar five days after you start the process. And so for five days, um, I'm looking on the GoDaddy website and it's saying like it's pending um, and they'll go to the hover site and it also says it's pending. And then I finally get an email back from GoDaddy on day four and they say, oh, your email address that you're, um, that you started this with you, you, you replied, they emailed me at an email address that was on file. I replied to that email with a different one, which doesn't matter. As long as you can receive it, it doesn't matter who you respond with, but okay, whatever. I responded with a different one and they said, we can't do that. You have to respond with the correct one. So 30, about 30 seconds to a minute later, I respond back with the correct one. The next day I get an email back saying, um, what was, what's the I th- yeah, saying something like it was like some automated thing saying that they received it and they were going to process something. And then day five happens. So like for five days, GoDaddy did not. <laughs> it was just one extra thing in the coffin, like uh, an extra nail in the coffin. Like it just was it was 
they were waiting until the, ex- the longest period that they possibly could before they would, would act. And in fact, didn't even work. It was the automated system had to take over, which really? is frustrating. Every time I ever contact Hover, like I get a hold of somebody quick and I get a hold of a person. Oh, immediately. Yeah. And I just feel just feel better about the whole thing at Hover. Um, their, Hover is owned by Two Cows. And Two Cows is like an old 1990s website called The Ultimate Collection of Windows Software, Two Cows. I remember that. I remember that. And they were like a like a download.com or one of those, like, you know, you get shareware there. Well, they started Hover. They started um, Ting Mobile. I think that's like the uh, the yep. cell phone provider that's it's very affordable. They um, also they started, started – Ting became an ISP in places up in the Northeast. Nice. I just yeah. feel like they, they feel – I don't know, more wholesome than some of the other companies that I'm working with and doing stuff with. So shout outs to Hover. I, I like them. So anyway, I'm all fully transferred over to Hover. I uh, renewed my domain for as long as they possibly would let me. Like I hit the drop down menu and picked 10 years. So for the next 10 years, I have uh, my domain already paid for. Everything's ready to go. So now I just got to keep an email server running and I'll be able to get email for the next 10 years and I won't have to use any of the big guys. How old how old do you be in 10 years? Uh 45 45 Oh man. Time's flying by. Yeah, yeah, that's wild, man. 46 now, 46. Yeah. I'll be in my 40s, so I'll do this a couple more times and then I won't care anymore. <laughs> I don't know about all that. We're going to be tinkering until we're very much senior citizens. There you go. Until I can't see anymore and then I'll start tinkering eye stuff. There you and, go. Uh, Anyway, yeah, coward.com is transferred over. Very happy. Um, I'm using FastMail as my email provider. And I wanted to, I was on DigitalOcean, I was doing some stuff, and I wanted to like mix it up a little bit because at work I've been doing some AWS. Yeah. And so I tried to move my next cloud that I've been raving about for the last several weeks. My next cloud instance, which next cloud is like a Google Drive slash Google Docs. I tried to move that from DigitalOcean to AWS. And on DigitalOcean, there was like a one-click uh, disk image that was already set up for me, which I I like a little bit, but I also think I've lost some control because I'm not quite sure what all is installed, what kind of updating does it have. I, I would personally like to have a little bit more control and, and handcraft this installation. So I tried doing that on AWS several times. I probably spent like two days on this and um, was unsuccessful. I got everything working except like short links. So a short link would be if I have a doc and I want to share it with you, a short link would be the address would be cowherd.com slash one, two, three, four, five, right. some random number. Right. Well, the bug was if I'm using Nextcloud's recommended snap installation process, and I'll get into that in a second, there's a bug where it can't, it can't redirect that, that URL correctly. So the URL you end up sharing is cowherd.com slash index.php slash short link equals something. It was similar to that. It was just right. much longer and, and it didn't look professional, didn't look streamlined. And the solution for it is very simple. Like it's like a two lines of code to fix this problem. But the, the problem I was running into is because I, it was installed as a snap application, some of those files are read only. And snap is like a combination of like a Docker plus like some sandboxing plus some it, it's trying to make Linux complicated Linux applications allow you to install them on Linux and not have to recompile them and do all this extra maintenance for different distributions. You can just build this snap environment 
and just pass it around kind of like a Docker container mm. and use it on different environments. But when you do that, um, not all the files are writable. So my, the file that I needed to modify these two lines of code uh, was read only. And I could, even as like our root, I couldn't change it. So unless I'm like going to go in there and modify the snap installation and, and do all this extra stuff, I can't do it. And it's been on Nextcloud's to-do list for like two, I think two or three years now. So they know it's a thing. It's just not high priority. They want to fix things like actual bugs and not some, some, some vanity URL thing. So uh, that's the only reason I'm not using it right now. So I, I have that on hold. So until then, I'm just going to continue using uh, Google Docs. I'm only using Google Docs for like two customers and just for very lightweight stuff. Any, any actual documents, I'm not storing there right now. Um, I kind of got jaded by Google Drive after reading an article where it was a, a journalist who had a copy of Windows 10. It was like a Windows 10 ISO disk image from the Microsoft website. He had it on his Google Drive and he was sharing it. And this is a, a drive image that Microsoft freely, freely distributes. However, you know, they have a terms of service you have to agree whenever you, you download it, but, and he wasn't doing that. He was just basically mirroring it on his Google Drive. Well, Microsoft sent Google a list of file hashes and Google scans all of the public shares. If it finds any of these, it locks those accounts. It oh, doesn't man. just lock the file, it locks the account. And then he, he tried to appeal this thing for, for weeks or maybe even months. But, and I don't even know if he's been able to get it unlocked, but he had other important things on his Google Drive other than this, this disk image. He had, you know, documents for customers or, or work documents or pictures or, you know, any, any of his personal stuff is all locked out. And anybody who sends, has a relationship with Google where they can send file hashes of copyrighted material can get, you know, Google can add it to their list and take it down. And and that's, you know, it, it does make sense because Google doesn't want to be, get sued and, and break the DMCA um, for all these violations from customer data. So they have a, a thing in place. But what bothers me is the user has no control. Like you, he can't just call somebody and, and talk to them, and get his data back and close the account or apologize or pay, or he can't do anything. He's just locked. And if you, uh, emails anybody's going to get templated or scripted emails back. So I don't want to be in that situation. So that's another reason I would want to use a different provider for my docs and my, my files, you know, have full, more control over them. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at, you know, AWS, DigitalOcean. I'm looking at rolling my own thing, you know, NextCloud encrypting stuff. There's, there's lots of options, but um, I'm kind of in a limbo at the moment until this next cloud thing gets fixed or I find a simpler alternative. I think that the, the moral of the story is just keep this stuff simple. Don't try to make this, make this complicated. It's not, it's just file sharing. Um, and it's not like I'm sharing windows disk images, but you know, who knows, you know, who could, I don't, I don't know. There might be something that I have that, somebody would file a claim on. I can't think of anything, but I don't like that being a possibility. That's like a, a vulnerability into all of my data. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. The fact that any of these large companies can access your data for one, because they're scanning yeah. all the files for you know, a hash, like they have access to them and they're able to see exactly what you have 
and lock you out. If like, let's say that, that like, I'm not sure because I didn't read the article, but I'm sure that guy wasn't distributing that windows image to his buddies. He's probably using that to be able to transform between computers. And yeah, it definitely wasn't public, public, but it wasn't wasn't a publicly shared file. Right. And yet Google still locked him out of his account. That's concerning. Very, very concerning. And yeah. I, I just don't want to be, uh, I don't, I, I want to have more control over my own stuff. Like the stuff Same. on your Google drive can be intimate. It can be like letters to your spouse. It can be private confidential things to a customer. It can be school documents. It could be important stuff to you. And I don't want to be able to lose that just because of some technicality. Yeah. I'm I'm so, just being more and more concerned about this stuff. Um, but yeah, I'll let you continue because I I, I have some thoughts, man. <laughs> I want to pivot, and I'll I'll let you uh, speak your piece. But <laughs> I want to pivot whenever we we talk about email later because I want to get back into uh, continue talking about email. But there's another situation that my mom had with Gmail where I tried to reset her password, mm-hmm. but because I was in Colorado and she was on the phone with me, and she's like the two factor thing pops up as she reads me the code. We're trying to reset her, her email, but because I was doing it in Colorado, it like locked her account again. And it, mm. she was locked out of her email and she doesn't know the password and we're trying to fix stuff. But because of the IP address locations and stuff, it, we were locked out, which I, I like that ability. If it doesn't affect me, like I like the security. If other people try to break in that I'm not locked out, I'm sorry. When the tr- people try to break in, they're locked out, and I'm okay. I like that, but I don't like it when it messes with me. So that's just one more reason to – I'm liking this fast mail thing. I feel like I can just talk to a person. It's uh, – okay, I'll let you get back to – what are your thoughts on this this privacy and this Google Google Drive and NextCloud <laughs> Snap? Um, it's It's – okay, so let's come back a few thousand feet and talk just about <laughs> – how these companies I feel like are continuing to show I'm, I'm going to become the Alex Jones of tech, but <laughs> I'm, I just don't, I don't like Google and I don't like Facebook and I'm starting to not like Apple in a lot of ways because the amount of control that they have, not only over tech, but the way the things that we see is very, very concerning. Um, we were talking, I was talking to some family members the other day about how they just started, you know, we, you, you, it happened to me. I, I do one search for Traeger grills and now I see Traeger grills everywhere. You know, yeah, I'm getting the same thing right now with something. Yep. I have the political side and I'm going to come back to this about why I hate social networks at the now. Is just everything has become so political. It's like sometimes I feel like Facebook is trying to change my way of thinking almost with what's coming up. Um, just some of the weird stuff that we're seeing Mark Zuckerberg say. It's just everything's just it's just I, it's just getting so strange. And then the fact that you know you're talking about these companies being able to view my files or possible or, or scan my files for specific hashes, like. The more I read about Google and Facebook, the less comfortable I become. Yep. Yep. You know, so I want to pivot this discussion a little bit and I want to talk about why I hate social networks right now (laughs) and why I've deleted the majority of my social networks off of my phone. 
Um, I find two things. You're only going to find a couple things I find on Facebook. I either see baby pictures or someone's mad about something, something politics. Yep. And that's not worth my time. That's Facebook. Okay. Twitter. I only want to like follow two types of people on Twitter. I want to follow like Twitch streamers and people who talk about tech and oftentimes people who are in our sphere, you know? Yeah. The problem that I'm having with that is that no one's talking about tech anymore. We're only talking about (laughs) politics. Yep. Yep. Oh, and it's driving me insane because I remember back when we would talk about tech and we would have podcasts that were about tech. What do you think we talked about? We talked about software. We talked about Microsoft. We talked about, you know, Windows. We talked about PC hardware. We talked about, you know, the internals of Mac OS. We talked about, you know, John Syracuse's, you know, um, Mac OS reviews. Like this is the stuff that I remember hearing about. And now whenever I see anything from anyone that I used to follow from back in the day, it's either about how much they hate the situation, like the political situation in America, or it's about COVID-19 and I'm tired of hearing about it. And so it's not worth my time. So I deleted Twitter. <laughs> wow. So I'm done I with that. I have actually been using Twitter lately for things like, is Comcast internet down in just my house or is it nationwide? So the only time I really have been using Twitter lately is to figure out or to search for people complaining when an event happens to see if it's me or other people. Right. For example, our, our uh, street lost power a couple of years ago and I went on Twitter and people were responding or talking about it. I was like, this is great. It's yeah, that's really cool. That's where it makes a lot of sense. You know? Um, and it's more localized. Twitter's more localized than something like Reddit, even though I was able to use Reddit in a very situation, very similar today, actually, we'll come back and talk about it. Um, and I was able to, to see other people were talking about this this instance as well on Reddit. But it's not going to be as local as, say, Twitter would be. Right. But that only happens to me maybe one or two times. I still have my Twitter accounts around. I'm just choosing to not have the clients installed on my phone. Because I also am finding I'm spending less time, you know, just being bored on my phone and just clicking whatever has a badge yes. on it. Yeah. You know. LinkedIn has got me lately. I need to get off LinkedIn. I deleted like, that today as well. <laughs> like LinkedIn, you really only need when, you, when you're when you looking for a job. And if you're not actively looking for a job, I guess you have this fear of missing out. Like, am I going to – are recruiters going to try to recruit me and I don't have LinkedIn installed, so I'm not going to get the message. Am I going to miss out on that opportunity? And I think there's this this mental shift. Like if you're happy where you're at – don't go looking. <laughs> Just, yeah. And whenever it's time to go looking, you can build that network up. You don't have to keep it. You don't have to keep building it the whole time. Maybe your job needs it, but um, I don't want to be in those positions where my, my job needs that. I don't know. I'm becoming, becoming jaded, TJ. Yeah. I'm becoming- yeah. No, I understand that. Like I have a message typed up inside of a Facebook window right now that just says I'm beginning my move off of Facebook. And if you want to exchange contact info, please shoot me a message. Like that's, but I'm having a hard time pressing the post button because it's leaving that ecosystem entirely is going to be difficult because 
there's still so many, you know, there's friends who post, uh, post things. There's, you know, Facebook market. There are things about this that are really convenient, but I'm not convinced that they are what's, what's good for us at all. During this, uh, this pandemic, I've been thinking about the relationships I have with people and how many of them really matter. And I'm thinking about like, who's contacting me right now? Just asking, how are you doing? Like whenever I, pre-pandemic, if, a, a lot of people I would talk to, we would discuss things if we needed something from each other or it was a mutual, something mutual. But it wasn't just like, how are you feeling? You know, how, how are you doing? Is there something we can do for you? Or you know, Those types of people, those requests and those types of conversations I have with people are the ones I really, I really care about. And I'm realizing that's a smaller group. And that group might not necessarily, not necessarily require Facebook for me. I might be able right. to do that in my message. I might be able to do that in person. I might be able to do that on a regular phone call. Um, the relationships that matter, you're going to be able to keep going over iMessage, GroupMe, you know, some sort of messaging utility. Like you don't have to have, you know, be friends on a network and be able to see what people post. You know, that doesn't make a friendship. Pull those toxic people out of your circle. Like, you, you, everybody has the, that guy or that girl who just like brings things down or is just negative and just, it's just toxic. And if you can, can distance yourself from that person and surround yourself with people that inspire you or make you a better person, you're going to, you're going to live a better life. I, I totally believe that. So I'm, I'm taking this as a, an opportunity to kind of recognize those individuals and those, those families that I really want to invest in in the future. And then the other ones, I'm, I'm okay. Just letting that relax a little bit. Yeah. Uh, don't have to po- you know, reply to every single post that they make or like things that they post. It doesn't really matter. So it doesn't a little self-reflection right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so to talk about the little incident that I had that I Googled on, I mean, not Googled and Google it. I searched Reddit for, um, was that Facebook had a very interesting occurrence happen today. Oh, God. Okay. Yep. Hit me. Yeah. So apparently somewhere deep inside of Facebook's software development kit, we call it an SDK, there was a bug. Um, and it turns out it was actually being caused by something happening server side. I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly what's going on here because I looked at some, someone filed an issue on GitHub explaining like where it was crashing. And I didn't really look to see exactly what was what, what it was that was causing it. But so I, I went to well, I was seeing a friend earlier today and my wife was with me. And all of a sudden we could no longer open some very key apps on our phone. We would launch them crash. We would right. try launching it, crash. And it was completely separate apps, too. I was trying to load GroupMe. My buddy was trying to load Spotify. Completely different. Both of them would crash immediately upon launch. And as it turns out, it was something inside of Facebook's SDK. And it wasn't just them. It was TikTok. It was you know a bunch of these these major apps. Like Not major TikTok's app. a big deal, but like like a Spotify. Yeah. That's a, yeah. a major deal. And you know what didn't crash for me today? Fastmail. Worked perfect. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Didn't crash at all. No, so this is very, this hits me deep because about a year ago at my company, we wanted to marketing wanted to implement Facebook. Uh, they wanted to be able to to sell an ad 
or, or sorry, they wanted to buy an ad for our app. And then if someone download, clicked that link on Facebook and downloaded the app, they wanted to know who that was. That's kind of creepy. But yeah, they wanted Isn't to know. It Isn't they it? Wanted to, who clicked it? And then they wanted to know, like, are they getting their money's worth out of it? Because they, like, not necessarily targeting that individual person, but they wanted to know, like, is it worth it to spend several thousand dollars on a Facebook campaign if, you know, you get 200 downloads, but nobody actually purchases it? Or if they're all fake? Or if it's just bogus? Like, they wanted to have some insight. But in order for that full cycle to work, we would have to add the Facebook SDK into our app. The Facebook SDK is not small, and the Facebook SDK is not built by one person. It's built by many teams, all with their own agendas. It's been worked on for years and years and years, and stuff like the bugs that happen today could be – the actual bug might not even be related to what they were trying to fix or change whenever they made the, the change deeper in, into the code. It's just a side effect of all of these things chained on top of each other. And the fact that you can't test all of those different combinations because it, you can never release a new version of the SDK if you're ch- you know, checking millions of combinations. So sometimes you just got to release it and you break some stuff. And I guess that's their, their motto was like, you know, release, release fast and break stuff or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely see that happening. So about a year ago, we had all these discussions and, you know, I got to the point where I didn't want to add the SDK and I made a whole keynote presentation about all of these reasons not to have it and how it's, you know, it takes away the privacy. And also Facebook, after Cambridge Analytica, Facebook was required to um, kind of change some of their privacy policies. So in order for us to have the SDK, we have to have pop-ups that appear and say, like, do you want to explicitly give permission to share some of this data with Facebook. And it was all these kind of like scare screens. Like I would, if, if done right, you would install my app and immediately it would say, we're giving all your stuff to Facebook. Do you agree? And you'd say no. And then it would say, okay. And then my marketing guys couldn't get their data because you said no. So it would defeat the whole purpose of having the SDK in there. But a lot of apps have the SDK because Facebook has an ad engine. So if I want to make my app free, and I don't want to use Apple's ad network or Google's, I could use Facebook's. Or if I wanted to have like a Facebook login. So those are the two biggest reasons that you would install this SDK. But there's a lot more in the SDK other than those two pieces. And I'm not sure, I didn't read all of the, all of the article about uh, what happened here. I don't know if it happened in one of those two specific pieces or if it was deeper. But um, when I made this this keynote presentation last year, I kid you not, like, but between the time of me starting it and then presenting it at the end of the week, Facebook SDK also had another issue and took down a bunch of apps. The same thing that happened today, but it happened last year in that same week. So in that same week, I was able to put articles of like two days ago, Facebook SDK breaks these four apps. And it was just great timing when I wanted to release that. But it's just it keeps happening. And it's not mm-hmm. this isn't just a one time thing. This has happened twice in the last year that I can remember. And I haven't really been keeping track of it. And it was going to continue to happen. And it will happen if you start adding Google SDKs. It's going to happen if you add you know, any of these third party dependencies, unless you really need them. Like every one of them is a vulnerability. Every one of them has the potential to take user data. What was really frustrating about Facebook is people were saying that they were disabling it, but it was still crashing their app because it was still trying to make network calls. 
So if you disable it, but you have the code in there and the code's still able to execute, like, oh man. If you look at the source code, if you search for Swizzle in a Google SDK, you're going to find tons of Swizzle methods. And if you're a programmer, an iOS programmer, you don't need to Swizzle much. Typically, you Swizzle if you're doing something little shady. I mean, that's my personal opinion. If you're no, getting I into places you. that you shouldn't be getting into, people, the, the developers originally designed it to work a specific way, and they don't want you to change it. Swizzling lets, lets you change it anyway. It's like a key to anything. Yeah, and so Swizzling is essentially a way just for the, the listeners who may not know, for you to make, to do things that Apple explicitly does not want you to do. It's a, it's, it is most definitely a workaround. If you have to start swizzling, chances are, A, there, there's a better way of doing what you're doing and you need to stop and reevaluate. Or two, like Shane said, <laughs> you're doing something that's shady. Cool. Let's talk about email though. Man, fast mail is, I'm loving it. I am absolutely loving it. I have switched my website. When I redid this cowherd.com, I played around with everything. And I was using Ghost. Ghost is like WordPress, but written in Node.js. It's a more modern version. And I was trying to do stuff. And and I'm able to modify the pages live on the website, similar to how you would do with WordPress or Facebook or um, any of these other uh, – Squarespace. Anything like that. It allows you to modify it live. But in order for that to happen, you have to have a database running. You have to have a scripted language support on your server. You have to have this whole stack. All these extra dependencies we keep talking about. I don't want to mess with that. So I was I made a new site in, in Hugo. And Hugo is written in Go, but it, it's a static site generator. So I create my pages in Markdown. I run a little script. It applies my theme to them. And makes my website. So my website loads faster than I've any website I've ever made in my life. It, it's just so blazingly fast. And it requires no maintenance. I can host it anywhere. It doesn't require anything special to host. It can. It's super cheap to host. Pennies to host this because there's no database. There's no extra processing running. It's just fast. If Hugo is ever not supported or there's not an alternative, or I can't you know, modify those original scripts, it doesn't matter because my site's already been generated. I can just take the, orig- the generated site, modify it to HTML. So lots of flexibility here if you're using Hugo or, or some type of st- uh, static site generator. So I, I converted cowherd.com to static site. And then I'm, I found out Fastmail has a web hosting feature, which, oh my gosh, Fastmail is so cool. I'm, I'm looking into it and apparently like, these feel like, I don't know if they're hack week projects or like little like side projects that some engineer at Fastmail was working on. They released it and they even talk about it in some of their support documents, how they don't update this anymore, but it's, it's sticking around because it works and it's fine. But they have Let's Encrypt support. So they automatically will secure all of the sites that I, I point to it with SSL. And I just throw static files in a folder and it renders them. It's super simple, and I I could use it do this at other places other than Fastmail, but it's just nice being able to go into my email app, mm-hmm. and I have everything there. I got documents in there, I got my websites in there. It's just all together, super fast. And I, I talked about last couple episodes the fact that the Fastmail website is built for speed. Like they're they're not trying to make money by keeping you logged into their product longer, but just so you can see ads. Like they're trying to solve your problem, and they do it. It is so 
convenient, so nice. And if you go to cowherd.com right now, it just loads really, really fast. And it's just, I just threw those files in a folder on Fastmail. It's so cool. That is very cool. It's very I, fast. I did go earlier and I just went back in that right now and it's just bam. It's so, so speedy. Instantaneous. And I just, I, I'm liking this TJ. It's really cool. It is. But, that is uh, very, very cool. I mentioned that they do SSL certs for you. So if you're trying to set up SSL on a site, typically in the past, you had, you, you, you'd buy a cert and it would cost hundreds of dollars. And a cert is what gives you HTTPS or it gives you the little lock symbol on the, on the address bar at the top. It means that your page is encrypted. And in order for a cert to work, the browser needs to trust somebody that can give them encryption keys. So that typically the browsers have a huge list of people that they trust. They trust somebody from Microsoft. They trust somebody from uh, Mozilla. They trust somebody from like, there's just a bunch of these um, in, in turn. What was that? What's a couple of the big ones? Mm, I can't think of any of it. Uh, what is that? There's, there's one that's, there's like a symbol or like a, like an icon that you, you put on your site, like a, like a seal or something. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name though. Real time follow up. Checking right now. What is this thing? Geotrust. Geotrust. Uh, thought, thought, T-H-A-W-T-E. I forgot how to, I don't know how to pronounce that. Network <laughs> Solutions. There's several of these that have been around for decades. And so that company will host some encryption keys for you. You pay a couple hundred dollars a year. And then every time someone goes to your site, your browser will go ask them for the keys get and get a public key and then send data and, and talk to your server. So that allows, it's like a man in the middle that can, uh, negotiate the security. Well, a couple of years ago, like not enough sites had SSL because it's tedious to set up. You, I don't want to set it up. I don't want to deal with these companies all the time. So I would buy a cert that would last two or five years, put it on my site. And then two or five years, I'd forget how I installed it to start with. So I'm mm-hmm. going to go back in there and stumble through trying to set it up again. So a couple of years ago, the, some of the big players got together, Facebook and Mozilla and like a bunch of them. And they said, let's do like an organization, like this open group that lets you do this for free. And then we'll have these big companies sponsor it, but it will allow every website to be secured with with HTTPS. And they're doing a great job. Like I think a majority of the sites now have Let's Encrypt. Let's check. Real time follow up. Just uh, the majority of sites in general? I think so. Like, yeah. uh, let's, Let's Encrypt market share. Right now they have... Percentage. They have two hundred and million, uh, two hundred million sites. Percentage. Hmm, I can't tell these numbers. Percentage of page loads over HTTPS. Over ninety percent of page loads now. Maybe maybe in the eighties. In the U.S. No, in the U.S., ninety-two percent of of websites that are loaded are secure now. Wow. In 2015, 30%. Wow. So That's in, wild. In the I didn't realize it was that dramatic. Five years, and we went from was it 32% of sites or of, of page loads were secure to now up into the 90s. That's huge. And this is absolutely amazing. This could not have happened if everybody, all these small little websites had to pay to have all these certs made. So yeah. what Let's Encrypt does is they are funded and hosted by all these other people 
but you can make a, a, a start really fast. And they have these, this software that'll do it for you that you install on your web server. But they, the stipulation, though, is they expire really quickly, like 30 or 60 days, something very small compared to the several years I had before. So if, if it's expiring all the time, then I'm going to install some software or write some software that will renew it for me. And then I don't have this problem where in two or three, five years, the cert goes down. I have no idea how to do it. And I got to you know, look at documentation and figure out how, it, how, did I, how did I do it five years ago? Like The landscape was totally different. That's not a thing anymore. Fastmail has that cert bot stuff already set up. It's super simple. I just drop things in a, in a folder. I say, it's this domain. I want SSL. They do it all for me. It's so cool. The what was cool. it? Last week, I had to renew a cert for a project I worked on like in 2012. Um, the, the cert expired in January. Nobody noticed until March or March or April. And so I went back and, and renewed the cert by hand. I didn't use Let's Encrypt. I, I, need, I should, should go back and do that, but this is another one of those like multi-year ones. And it was tedious. I, I had to jump through all these hoops and download files and make private keys and do all this stuff. Mm. And finally got it all set up. And then I'm reading about browsers saying that, like I think it's like Safari or one of the browsers says that they will, even if the cert says it's two years, they're they only going to support, support it. it. Yeah. If your, your time frame is beyond like a year or something of its issue date, they will treat it like it's expired. So, oh man, I think it was. I think I think that Safari at max supports thirteen months, something like that. Yeah, something this is going to push everybody to. I mean, more people to Let's Encrypt, and, and Let's Encrypt's free, so there's no reason I shouldn't be using Let's Encrypt. Right, um, and, and it's trusted by the browsers now. So uh, earlier I mentioned that you you have to tr- your browser has to trust these companies or the, these providers. Well, a browser from 10 years ago, before Let's Encrypt was even thought of, those root certificates do not support or do not have Let's Encrypt on that list. So older devices that have not been updated will not be able to run my site. And that, that's true across a lot of sites. In fact, if it went from 30 to 90%, I have to say a majority of sites on the internet would not be able to run on these older devices. So that is a, some growing pains we have to go through, but we're doing that. It's going to be worth it. So that's Fastmail. I'm, I'm loving them. They host my website now, which just on a fluke, um, <laughs> secure, uh, certs are easy, it, just fast. I'm loving it. So tell me about Proton selling okay. this thing. Um, so I, I don't think that I'm going to sell you on Proton. So so the listeners know I switched over from Gmail to Proton Mail, And I've talked about Proton Mail a little bit in the fast, but in the past, but I didn't commit to it. I didn't switch my Google Suite account over to using Proton. Proton, like I I am using for one main reason, and that is the fact that their entire stack is open source. Their back end is open source, their front end nice. is open source, and their mobile apps are open source. Um, they have been audited by an external entity. So as of now, there are no known like privacy or security concerns um, and privacy and security is always their number one priority. Everything is encrypted. Um, the messages are encrypted on their servers. Uh, you can have proton to proton user encryption. If you don't have it, you can set it up with, you know, to, to work with external providers and whatnot. Um, and fast mail 
per you know per gigabyte like it is well i believe five dollars a month for 30 gigabytes of storage which is much better than protons protons i believe is five dollars for five gigabytes um so i would say for most people if you're looking for more features and more bang for your buck fastmail is definitely the way to go if you care more about you know a commitment to open source and everything being open source you know i would i would roll with proton um and at the end of the day it's really just personal preference but yeah i i'm just glad that i made a step in the right direction because staying with google was not something that i was interested in doing um and so i've i've moved email over now i'm in the process of moving you know my drive over getting rid of you know or finding some solution to the photo problem um i don't have one oh, i don't the have photo one problem yet is tough. google photos is so Good. Today, I searched for a town in Oklahoma and the word park, and I got pictures of us at that park in that town four it's years wild. ago. Yeah. It was awesome. I can't do that with any of the others. I'm, I'm trying. Like, I'm constantly looking. And if you do find one, Amazon might have one. Like Amazon Photos is pretty good, but Amazon's a huge company. If, mm-hmm. if I'm hosting it on my own at Amazon, I feel like I have more control. If I'm using one of their, their commercial products or for consumer products, I feel like they're going to run the scans on me. And not that I have anything in my photos, but I don't want my photos being used for machine learning models. Exactly. But yeah. Yep. There's not a good alternative to these big companies for the photos. Apple, man, Apple, you're so close. Like you, you can, I, I have a feature list of like five things that can make Apple photos my, my go-to, but mm-hmm. they just haven't hit those yet. <sighs> Yeah, that, I'm still something I'm figuring out. I'm going to be doing some research on that because it's going to be something I'm going to care more about now that I'm at. I'm thinking about, you know, babies coming in two weeks. So I'm going to want to be able to manage these photos and keep them around. But I, I want to do it on my terms, not Google's. My other thought was install Google Photos, install Amazon Photos, keep your iCloud subscription up and have a local backup and then just have your photos on all three or four services. And then if one ever goes down, you still have it on the other three services, you know, the chances of you finding it, you'll always be able to find it, but your photos and your videos are your most precious thing on your computer. Like you only get that moment one time to take a picture of that, you know, the arch in St. Louis when you were there on a trip in high school, like you only do that one time and you can't get that photo back. And, and our collections are huge now. So, you know, having it in several places is not bad, but you have to find that justification between privacy. Like it's on Google, but are they, are they scanning my photos and using my face to train their models? And do I care? Do I have anything on there that I don't want them to see? Um, that can affect people too. The whole privacy thing. I want to talk about some, some conferences coming up and that are happening right now. So GitHub is having a satellite conference right now. It's all online. All the presenters are in their house. They're presenting on you know, video streaming. But GitHub was purchased by Microsoft. And Microsoft also has a build conference soon. And mm-hmm. Microsoft is doing some awesome stuff with GitHub. And it, from what I'm looking at, what I'm seeing, it does not feel like they're taking GitHub and they're making it Microsoft. It feels like they're... They're making. They're using the, the GitHub brand and the GitHub name to be their development team. Like so, 
Visual Studio Online. And they keep changing. I think that the new name is going to be like Visual, Visual Studio Code Spaces or GitHub Code. The, the name's going to change, but here's the product that's going to happen. I'm going to be on GitHub. I'm going to be in a repo. I'm going to be able to say, start my virtual machine. It starts up a Visual, Visual Studio Code instance and has the terminal in there. But the terminal is my own four or eight gig VM. And I can do all my process. I can do all of my editing. All of my dot files are there. And my entire development environment is hosted in this VM that I'm accessing from a GitHub page, a Visual Studio page, with all of the power of Visual Studio Code all online. Or I could download it, but I could I could go to your laptop and have my full environment. I can go to my laptop full environment. I can go to a different project, totally uh, similar. I can, you know use the same dot files, but I can have a similar environment, but totally different project for that other repo. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm done with something and I get commit, they have another thing called GitHub actions, which will do continuous integration. So I could do my entire project. I could go to your, I could go to your laptop, go to my GitHub page. I have my, use my VM, the, the visual studio code spaces. I could do all my programming using all of my keyboard shortcuts. It feels like it's my instance. It's, it's my environment. I've spent hours configuring this environment. I can write my software, do my tests, do whatever I want. I can publish it. When it gets published, GitHub Actions takes it, starts doing all this extra stuff, runs my unit test, does whatever it needs to do, mm -hmm. and distributes it. But it's all within the GitHub world now. They're, oh, man. And that's just like... The Visual Studio Code side and the the action side, but they're also doing the thing with, I think like forums. So in the past they did that GitHub issues, which was it was like a a task management thing. Then they did uh, pull requests, which allowed you to comment and collaborate on code before you you saved it. And now they're doing a thing like forums or communities. So the making blocks community could be on GitHub in the future in one of these new things that they're building. But anyway, yeah. GitHub is doing some awesome stuff right now. Their conference um, is today and yesterday. It might be this whole week, but you can go on online. You can watch it for free. You, know, you can go see all these, this cool stuff. They had a, a guy doing like, there's like a DJ and there were like laser lights. And there's like one scene of, you can see he's in a bedroom in his house doing all this stuff. And then there's another view and it looked like something from a movie. Just it was just all depending on like the camera angle. If you're one angle, you see like the stuff in the house and the windows and things. At the other angle, it's like some epic scene with lasers and he's DJing and stuff. It was just really cool. But uh, yeah, that's on the, the GitHub satellite page. Um, the other conference is WWDC. It's Apple's conference, and they announced that it's going to be online. And then this week they announced it's going to be free. So I did not really think that they could charge. For it. Like it has to be free, but it's nice knowing that it's official. That's huge. Yeah. So we need to do like a, a making blocks um, after show or something, you know, a little commentary episode, just go over our thoughts right when it happens. And then, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for big things. I'm not going to get them, but I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping for some, really, <laughs> some game changers and uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it as well. That's gonna be uh that's gonna be a good time. Let's do All our right, picks man, of the week. Picks of the week. Yeah. <laughs> What's your pick? 
my pick is a so in my now my newly found free time of you know not looking at social networks, I'm <clears throat> interested in doing a little bit of you know tinkering with astronomy a little bit, and there is an open source planetarium application um, called Stellarium. And Stellarium has been around for a while, but it is a just really, really nice application that lets you view the night sky from different locations, different times, be able to click on specific stars and read about them. Um, if you're interested at all in astronomy, you should check out Stellarium. Uh, they also have a mobile app. It's it, The UI doesn't lend itself well to mobile. I'm not, not going to lie, but you know, if you combine Stellarium with another you know, a stargazing app on iOS or Android, um, they would work really well together. So you should definitely check it out. Stellarium.org. Nice. My pick is YouTube TV. Oh. And it's not why you think. Um, so right now, all of the TV providers are trying to give out like trials because of the, the pandemic. So uh, Sling had one like every night from five to midnight or something like that. You can use Sling for free. You can watch several channels on, on the computer or your phone. Well, YouTube TV sent me a thing where you have, I don't know, a couple months. Or I don't know what the time frame was, but I have maybe it's a couple weeks. I don't know. But I got some trial time with YouTube TV. And I've always liked the idea of YouTube TV because I YouTube is my favorite video site. I, I get my news on YouTube. I, I get how-tos on YouTube. I get programming. Mm -hmm. I get entertainment. Like I love YouTube. I have the the premium version. So I don't see ads and it, it's shocking whenever I go back and I see ads, but YouTube TV is like a cable provider, but it's, it's owned and operated by YouTube. Um, so you use the app or you go to the website and you can get all your TV channels. It has uh, like, I think it's an unlimited DVR because in, in reality, like all this stuff is on their server. There's no reason that it, you know, they can't just give you the copy of it later. It doesn't have to, I don't know the, the, idea of DVR where everybody has their own unique copy on disc of that video, including commercials and including, you know, weird start and stop times is just, it's weird to me. Uh, but YouTube does a good job of, of mixing that type of DVR in with like traditional on demand or, you know, pre-recorded versions of these episodes and things. Mm -hmm. The negative is ads. I just don't want to see ads and You'd be surprised if you're watching a show, how like every five minutes, it feels like they go to an ad break and you see commercials for a couple of minutes. And I just don't like that. So I don't know if I'm going to keep it, but I'm, I'm using the trial. And so the reason it's my pick of the week is because the iOS app has the coolest interface for video I've ever seen. <laughs> it is awesome. You're scrolling between these different channels. And as I'm scrolling, the thumbnails are the actual live video feed. Like on your TV, when you hit a button mm -hmm. and it, the screen goes black, flashes, comes back with the new screen. Why are we still doing that? Like with, with YouTube TV, I just can see the actual live streams, including commercials or wherever they're at in the show. As I'm scrolling, it is so cool. Um, there's several places in YouTube TV that I'm just very impressed with their developers. They did an awesome job with the layout and, uh, uh, the design of it is just inviting. I don't know, don't know if I'm going to keep it, but I, I am definitely going to keep my appreciation for that interface. It is expensive. 
month. It's like 50 bucks a month. And you mix that with Disney Plus and Hulu and Netflix and CBS and, you know, all these others. And you're at the same price as cable. Exactly. Yep. Just over a different wire. <laughs> um, as of right now, we, we used Google, uh, I mean, uh, YouTube TV there for a little while. Now we're down to we have Amazon Prime just from having Prime um, Hulu and Disney Plus. Uh, Amazon Prime is, is where I purchase all of my videos. My entire collections there. Hulu why and Netflix. That, why Amazon Prime as opposed to just iTunes? iTunes does not work on all devices. It's, it's very difficult to watch iTunes videos on an Xbox 360. Very true. It's very difficult to watch iTunes. I guess it's easier now, but for, at one point it was difficult to watch it on like a Samsung smart TV. But now there's app they started to open up a little bit, but Amazon prime is everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Amazon prime is also cheaper. The videos mm-hmm. on YouTube don't go on sale very often, but Amazon's are constantly on sale. And I think I trust Amazon because I get my groceries from Amazon. I get my like goods at the house. I get my electronics from Amazon. We do use Amazon for work. Like if Amazon goes down, my entire life uh, livelihood and my lifestyle is going to change. If Apple goes down, I still have Amazon to handle my my goods and my uh, my work and all that stuff. All I would lose is my movies. So that, that's the reason I went with Amazon. Valid enough. That makes sense. Google and Netflix, we get a Kate. Well, we we keep subscribed, but there's only a couple of shows we want on each one of those. And same Disney Plus probably keep forever. But uh, yeah, we get, got a bunch of them. I don't know if Hulu will stay. I'm sorry. I don't know if YouTube will stay. But that's my pick of the week. I like it. Well, this is a good return episode, man. Having only been gone for a, for a week. We, this was a good one. Nice and meaty. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked a lot. There's there's a lot of a lot of stuff. And we, we had to cut out TJ and and I off air, we're talking about some of these other topics we wanted to get into, but yeah, yeah, I was just running out of time. Save them for next week. You know what? Speaking of time, I still have no idea where my watch is. <sighs> Hashtag the cowboy. Yep. Good night, man. Good night, man. <laughs>